All right. As as happens frequently, I have a, a parenting question here, and I'm going to cross it with a little bit of like uh, Netherlands life here. So I was biking with the kids uh, to school today, which is nice. You know, what, one of the great achievements, I think, I wouldn't say of parenting, but of their life that has occurred is they don't really complain about biking to school in cold, pissing rain. They just sort of do it. So, you know, they really like my grandfather, you know, who uh, uh, ate a fried egg sandwich for lunch every day on a dirt farm and went to school uphill both ways would be proud, uh, which which is nice. I think my other grandfather uh, definitely didn't go to school uphill <laughs> both ways. I think someone might have driven him. I, I, oh, I OK. It. One of those situations. I, I, that was going to go one of two ways. It's like, yeah, yeah. he was a. uh Slave labor. He, he got he got he got stuck in the in the gully between two hole two hills. Is a gully? Is that what a gully is? I sure. I don't know. Anyhow, uh, we're biking to school, and I hear that that sound that a bike makes when there's some, something rubbing against the wheel, kind of rhythmically. And so uh, I have I have my son Cormac pull aside, and his fender is just bent, you know. Uh, and so I just pull the 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 fender up, and then it's fine. But it got me thinking, like you know, I also need to fix the brake. On my daughter Alejandra's bike, she has pedal brakes. So it's just, you know, she's got multiple braking systems that are redundant. So she's fine, right? Uh, I just, it, her her handle brake needs to be fixed. And, you know, I've had my bike the whole time I've lived here, five and a half years. And it's like dirty because I don't clean things, I guess. <laughs> but it's in pretty good shape. I, I still have the same tires, which I need to replace. But I was looking at my kids' bikes, and I was like, so how, how do I calibrate? What is the, uh, what's the function running in my head about taking care of my kids' bikes? Because, like, they work, but they're kind of, like, junky. My daughter's bike is in good shape, but, you know. Are they starting to outgrowing them? They're not outgrowing them, but they don't, okay. like, they don't, like, take care of their bikes. Like, sure. You know, my, my son would have biked to school with the fender, like rubbing up against the wheel the whole time. And he would basically have kept it that way until his wheel rubbed away. Right. Like it just wouldn't <laughs> occur to him. So like, so like, should I be going in there and like doing this maintenance to make sure they have the best, most pristine bike? Or is it just like, do you just let the kids do what they're going to no, do because no. they're individuals? Now, you know, the bike is just one thing. Oh there's yeah, other yeah, things absolutely. in life that this applies to, whether it's keyboards or trackballs or bikes, like, like, how do you, how do you figure out when to intervene and what to intervene about and, and to what degree? I, I, I think, I think you have to start making the work visible to them. So, so as a parent, this is, you know, my, not, not particularly hot take, but um, yeah. So, you know, with, with your kids, you'll have to show them, you know, Oh, you know, the, the trash fairy doesn't magically come each week and take out the trash, you know, trash yep, goes in the yep. trash can. And then maybe your new job, now that you see that this happens is, you know, Sunday nights, you take the trash, the indoor trash out to, you know, the big trash can. Um, and, you know, you slowly, you, you know, you, you make the work visible to them, then you assign the work to them. And then, you know, you retire to a life of luxury. Yeah. Okay. I like, I like this plan. This is very hopeful you know, like pay yourself first sort of, sort of savings plan. (laughs) And, you know, I want to just add in my, my understanding is that it takes doing something about 40 times to kind of build up a habit. 
Oh, or something least. like that. I don't know. <laughs> 40 sounds like some kind of biblical number that someone just pulled out of the Bible to, to start using. 10,000 hours. Sure. And, and I, it just, so, so I think what I'm hearing is start having the kids take out the trash with me. And, and, uh, and, and then I also like I would this say idea. This, though, slightly different thing is like, oh. I do think I do an analysis of like, they're sort of like, how much additional work is it to you? Oh. To, to do the the what Matt is advocating for, like I could just take out the trash and be done with it, versus like I need to start passing some of the things off. So you got so I kind of evaluate it like case by case, and also too, I think age maturity with the kid plays yeah, a role yeah. here. Like, what what point do you think there's going to be too much resistance to ever get them to do it? Versus like maybe if I wait, let's I think a year is a good example, like. If they're this old, I may wait a year because I think it's going to go better, even though conventional wisdom may be that uh-huh. we should start earlier because it's just like, oh, that's going to be a certain amount of effort. No. I kind of like, you, you, I, you can't put it off though. You can't put it off because they're going to get to college and they don't know how to use a mop. You know, I hear this all the time. <laughs> I, I, so this is, I, I hear this, I've heard that same example probably three or four times. Maybe this is a holiday in the US. So a <laughs> this lot of is my son. Top, right. And it's like, no, but like, I think like the, well, this, you're, you're the perfect person to ask, man. Cause you're like, well, cause it's like when they're in college, they kind of just have to figure it out on their own or it's there. It's at, at that point, like there's minimal, like take the classic uh, laundry or messy room. It's like at that point, if they're no, like forget even college, if they're not low, they're no longer living with you. It is their problem. And it's like, it is up to you at that point. Like you will either figure it out or it, things will be dirty. But I, you know, I think, and that's fine because you don't have to deal with it. So I, you know, I think Matt, you're the expert because you have the college uh, age uh, children. Does that not work? Do you still get stuck doing the laundry or something, even if they're at college? Well, the, the laundry comes home on weekends. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, but, but the, uh, uh, the, the he had a, a room inspection, you know, where yeah. uh, they, you know, the door managers or whatever come in and, and make sure the place is not, you know, a health hazard. And so, yeah, we actually went over there and taught him how to clean. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's and, 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 and still to that, to that point. Oh, wait a minute, that's the moment. Like, I think, let me go back to that moment. Was there a discussion of like, you know, just tell them, like, tell them to clean. And if they don't do well, they, whatever, they get a, a failed inspection. Like, yeah, well, he, he did ask for help. So that, that, that was good. But then, that's but then, okay. but then yeah. even when we got there, it was like, no, you, you have to do the work. <laughs> Well, no, but I think that's different. Like then there was a little bit, there was a little bit of like, he was ready, right? Because he actually asked for the help. Even yeah, though he but didn't you, know, so. you know, you don't want to wait till he's 18. Well, uh, now, 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 now. So take us back. What would you do differently? This is a perfect case study. So you oh, would yeah. have forced it onto him. Like, I don't know. Oh really? yeah. Yeah. I, I, with this, you know, with, with the siblings, they're getting, you know, more involved earlier. Is kind uh, of the point. So they can blame their older brother. That's good. That's that's uh, that's excellent. Perfect. Or, yeah. or the parents. You know, parents will get blamed anyway. <laughs> no, no, I like yeah. that. That's good. Now, I, I, I think, I think Brandon, until Matt Ray brought us back to responsibility and parenting, uh-huh. you had been articulating <laughs> in words what I had never really kind of the fogginess in my head, which was like basically my first criteria in most everything is how much work is this going to be for me. <laughs> right. Like, unless it's something I want to do, then in which case it's going to be all the work because I enjoy doing it. And so that that's sort of like the first rung is like, well, I could just 
like walking the dog is a great example. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't like having the dog, but I walk the dog the most because it's just like, I don't know. I, I can just get it done right now. But then you brought up a whole, you walked down a whole scenario that I was going to, that I think of often, which is like, you know, the first time they live with a significant other, they're now responsible for this, right? Like they're the ones who are going to teach them how to like load up a dishwasher wash dishes properly that, that, that they shouldn't have socks. to deal with that well now see that this is i think where where uh our roads diverge matt ray is is just like i i agree they shouldn't have to deal with it but i think i'm done here like you know <laughs> <laughs> i've i've tried and until there is some in in uh some intrinsic motivation as you just went over it's like i'm happy to help someone if they ask me to help them but like this whole thing of like I'm I'm helping you even though you don't want to be helped is uh, is just but but like, see it's freeing to you if you can get them to finally take over that chore yeah yeah oh, no, it, it, develop, it, there's a payoff here yeah yeah, yeah. I'm with you on I, that. I, I I think though like the uh, wait you know whether you're going to live in a student co-op you're going to have some uh, what what do they, what do they call that role in Australia does it end in IE the uh, the, the dormies <laughs> the like whoever whoever yeah. RAs, like something, you know, whether it's them, some other authority that comes in. Advisos. Advisos. <laughs> That's good. And, no, but you know, before we get off it, I do want to go back to the bike situation because I, I would like to propose this and I would like Matt Ray to critique it. It would be like now on the bike specifically, I think uh, I would not, I'm not worried about what it looks like at all. What I do do, and I feel like I do this for like plumbing, bikes, anything that sort of like requires normal wear and tear, I will do my own little inspection of that stuff. Right. Uh To just make sure it's like working. There are no problems. Right. And that is sort of like just me sort of checking that like nothing's broken, nothing needs a major fix. And there isn't like some major problem. And if there is, I will do it. So in your case, I would probably walk by the bike, whatever, pick some interval once a week, once a month. And if I see something, that's kind of like a fender bent. I'll just bend it out. Right. Knowing that, but I wouldn't like, replace the fender right or i wouldn't like you know clean the bike unless you know unless you know in this case your son asked or there was something really wrong with it so that i just find now that is just more like i don't know what, what you want to call it like preventative maintenance right now this is i guess how like every you know i don't know this is such a stereotypical dad father kind of moment it's just like hey man it's easier for me to walk around and just take take uh take a quick inspection of everything and yep. see if there's anything I can like do quick preventative maintenance then just wait until some no one says anything and then like the classic example the toilet's overflowing or whatever the uh. bike has a, a flat and the rim has to be replaced so that is purely I do that as my own pure motivation because it's easier for me so I don't know Matt I don't know what your preventative maintenance strategy is uh, oh yeah now. yeah so, I mean that Similar. I think that is you just got I, I I think I think you, you know Stuart Brand has some new book out about his theory that everything is maintenance, which I was thinking I should read because that's that's a good theory. Maybe maybe if I can get my mind around the idea that like maintenance is just sort of like therapeutic activity in life, boy, just think of the superpowers I would have if I was uh, fixing things up. That that would be great. You know, speaking of maintenance, it seems like every vendor and and I don't know what you call them public cloud service providers. I just call them all vendors because that's fun. Hyper-scalers. It seems like there's they're they're doing they're doing a lot of maintenance on their AI portfolios <laughs> and uh, adding some new things and you know doing that and now now every year reinvent comes along well every year reinvent comes along but every year i think uh, as things go on we know that brandon 
Uh, it's a very close watch. I logged into Slack the other day. And uh, you know how you log into Slack and it's like, there's 30 new messages. So I clicked on that. And then it was like, there's 80 new messages. So I clicked on that. And then it said, there's 100 new messages. So I clicked on that. And then I stopped clicking when after that, it said there's 108 new messages. So that's <laughs> what was happening in our Slack channel during reInvent. So I know I know you've seen and, and you uh, you watched a lot of it. You even commented on the music with some other people. And my opening question to, to get into this is... Uh, like I heard, uh, you know, they got a lot of AI stuff. And so my hope is that the two Alexas I have are now going to be super awesome with the next software update they get, right? Yes. I Well, they mentioned Alexa. I think that would be the, that was sort of in, in the software defined talk stack. We all, that was kind of a running joke is that was sort of, because everyone's been doing AI. That's no matter what, when you give a keynote, you always start by saying like, We've been doing AI for the last 25 years, right? Every every single vendor does that. And then they uh, kind of reference something. So they did kind of reference uh, Alexa, which is like, yeah, it's not such a good example. That doesn't, that isn't a good one. So I don't know. They didn't talk about exactly how uh, Alexa will change, but we can only hope that they will get some of the nice AI or Q. There's a little preview or the uh, of the new assistant uh, functionality that they discussed this week. So, so give, give it, give us an overview of like the, the AI landscape. Like, like what do they, what do they do in AI? And, and like what I'm interested in is, is like, is like if we were to come up with like their deal or their style or like the way that they do things, right? Like I think we, we, we kind of know what open AI's deal is, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've logged into the cloud interface and I feel like they're trending towards yeah. like the gap of AI. The gap in Old Navy, just just purely on their color choice and their look and feel and limited interaction with them. And then and then you go to Microsoft and it's a very Microsoft thing. It's like, hey, it's everywhere. How, how about we do that? Right. Like and, and I actually haven't experienced it being everywhere yet. And then Google, as always, is just like, huh, what what's happening? Uh, and uh and so what, like, what is, what is, I, I have some theories based on my, like, you know, five minutes of interaction and thinking, but like, I'm especially interested in like, what is Amazon's style? Like, like, what are they, what are they, what's, what are they doing yeah. there? Well, maybe we kind of like start with kind of how, where things are similar and where they're different. So having watched all of them now, the Microsoft uh, keynote, it was a couple of weeks ago, Matt and I did an episode on that. And then GCP was in the spring. And now, of course, reInvent is that. They all follow a very similar pattern as how they kind of roll it out, right? There's essentially the infrastructure. <laughs> they start with having the NVIDIA CEO come out? No, that's uh, the middle. I'll, I'll okay. tell you exactly how it starts, right? First, they start with what I'm just going to broadly call infrastructure in the bottom layer. And they all have like, you know, as you like to refer to, Coach, like a burger diagram with different mm-hmm. layers. So AWS, this was three. Uh, Microsoft was five. And Ooh. I can't remember GCP. So that's a that's big Mac burger right there. They all kind of start with okay, the infrastructure is where they begin around that, and then that's where they talk about their new chip. Right, everyone is developing either has a new chip that they've developed that's an incremental improvement on the last one. So that was news here. The Tranium uh, chip in the what what they call Inferentia, which is very hard for me to say. Uh, those chips are from AWS and they built some new ones, right? And they also have this new processor. Uh, Microsoft announced, you know, that they will be having their first chip. Now, this was one departure, you know, because AWS is famous for like 
customer focused. They don't talk about competitors, but they did specifically say, you know, uh, you know, other vendors have never shipped the chip, which is of course <laughs> welcome to the party. Yeah, which is like of course Microsoft, right? It's like that. So they took a couple of digs directly at Microsoft. Like, oh, that's a little bit of a departure. And then I can't remember, like Google, I can't remember how long Google's been building its own chips. Because I think they may have been first. They, they, they've been doing them um, for, for TensorFlow, for AI workloads for a while. I don't think they have a general purpose ARM okay. chip yet. All right, so that's good. So okay, everyone, I think they I think they use Ampere. Okay, so that's like step one of the keynote is like, look at all these new chips. Somehow they're the fastest chips ever been built. They beat everyone. Some type of like, uh, like some kind of statement around like, Pendaflops. They they use the word like or xenoflops. I mean, they use the ones that are I'm not that familiar with. So I sometimes forget like, is that more or better? Like, which is the greater, right? Because it's just sort of meaningless. But it's like, okay, so they say all of that. Uh, and then they talk a little bit about like some type of developer tool that they have. Then they talk GPUs. And then to I think Matt, then they invite the CEO of NVIDIA on stage, who What's has he- been at every single keynote, he has uh, quickly to say, "I'm calling this." He has completed the keynote grand slam. He was at oh yeah, Miami world. Absolutely. He was at oh uh, he even he even swept the miners. I mean, I, all I mean, the, like not there's not been anyone that I think has been on stage at all of these keynotes. Uh, so I'm surprised I didn't Mom, see him at KubeCon. Yeah, probably. So, Jensen, <laughs> so they all get on stage and they all say how important. And how long they've been working with NVIDIA, Jensen Wong. But every but, single but one. But of AWS them. brought him out before they talked about their chips. So they brought um, him out. I think it was, I, I could be wrong. I think it was in between because I think they did the chips, the infrastructure, then they brought him out, and then they got into the bedrock, which we'll get to in a second. So, so, okay. But anyway, either way, literally, Jensen wears exactly the same outfit. He has exactly the same black leather jacket on. He starts off about, how he's very excited to be there and how they've been working with said partner for a really long time and been doing these incredibly innovative things. So it's like, so the huge winner, I mean, it's nothing new, but it's just like, if anyone is just taking home the bag of money, it is absolutely <laughs> NVIDIA because they're all up there and they act like, what I think is funny too, like act like as if this was the only partnership that had ever been done with NVIDIA. It's like, I don't even think they watched the other clips because I, and I think it would be great if somebody had the video editing skills is to do a super cut of like his, his VMware talk, his GCP talk, his Microsoft talk, and his uh, uh, AWS talk. Cause I, even I, I mean, I watched them on, I feel like he says exactly the same thing. So that all starts the infrastructure side of it. And what I guess it just nets out as is sort of like we have all the NVIDIA GPUs you could possibly need. I think that's all they're really trying to say. So, again, as right. someone that doesn't use it all the time, it's just like, you know, I don't know. It's just sort of like, okay, sounds good. Well, well let, let, let me let me let me pause the uh, the uh, the the omnibus overview here, because that mm-hmm. was a question that I just had. It's just like, why have that guy on? But I think maybe what you're highlighting is like you got to have that guy on. Because otherwise, people are going to be like, "You can't get the chips." So if you can get this guy on stage, <laughs> it means it means he's going to make sure that the chips ship from Asia to oh, your data yeah. centers. And so this is just like it's like a signal that you he's got, got the, like you an insurance racket, like an insurance racket going, where he's like, "If I'm not on stage, you don't get your chips." And at least you know that's what the customers are going to think. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, like I think he's taken it so far as because at this show he actually uh, spent some time talking about. I believe it's called DGI, which is the NVIDIA Cloud. The so they is yeah. it what is it? 
it's basically DGC. yeah DGC. okay we'll get we'll look that up in a second but uh either way it was like so nvidia basically has its own cloud where you can go use all of their gpus so so he basically talked about how you know you could use that as well and and i thought like that was like wow there was a time this would have never gone on at a, certainly on an aws keynote but anywhere else where they someone would right. walk on stage and actually propose Oh, we have this other cloud infrastructure that's already built and you can use it from, in this case, AWS. So, I mean, to your point, it's like, I don't want to yeah, say that's that. a baller move, right? I don't you want to show up and you're like, like, you got a great party here, but you know what? We got better stuff at my party. It is though, but it's like a real sign <laughs> of where the power is. And so, to your point, Cote, it's like, I think he has to be on stage because it does provide confidence. Everyone has it, but it's also, they're all, they're all a little bit dependent on NVIDIA. Like if NVIDIA were to come out tomorrow and be like, we're doing an exclusive and we're only selling uh, cloud-based GPUs to like pick any one of the major three, that would be a huge stock hit to whoever wasn't in that partnership. So it really is impressive how much um, a hold that NVIDIA has on the whole industry right now. And so therefore like the race, for somebody to actually build something equivalent to NVIDIA is, you know, obviously ongoing and, you know, everyone's going to try to do it, but it's, you know, easier said than done kind of thing. And so just to correct myself, I don't know what I said. So it's the GGX platform. Yeah. Okay. And so, so then this is the other thing you can help me with is like, like I, with my cursory look, I look at all the, uh, all (laughs) the, the other two major cloud things and I kind of sift through their AI announcements and it seems like so y'all have the same thing basically but like what what how are they like differentiating themselves all right so that would be the second level right so okay so yeah. let's just say like and i think this would frustrate all uh, all the cloud hyperscalers is that we kind of just look at the infrastructure and say it's all the same of course they would all roll out all the details about all the chips and all the things about why they're better but again i think it is kind of like to somebody it's like probably have what they ne- you need to build models right so i think that's mm-hmm. sort of like table stakes now the middle layer is sort of like foundational models or llms right so it's like okay if you want to use something that exists how easily can you do that so in the case of microsoft i think they had they called it like a store right they were sort of like we got like a store of models for you and in the case of amazon they call it amazon bedrock which is essentially a collection of uh, popular foundation models as well as LLMs that are ready for you to use or to train. And so that the ones, so the primary difference here is Microsoft is open AI and now Amazon is uh, Anthropic, right? And then uh-huh. in addition, they have, if you will, both are going to have all the open source models that are available. So this is like Llama. And then each company kind of also builds their own model. So in the case of Amazon, they have a series of models. I think they were called Titan. I'll have to double check that. So, so they're allowed to use the Llama one, despite the fact that, you know, they've got more than $700 million in revenue or whatever. That's That, that seems weird to me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, well, they said Llama know. too. I don't know if that matters to your. Well, th- maybe, that, maybe that was the whole maybe kerfuffle about it not being open source. Was it? Maybe yeah. it's like when you install those sound drivers to make MP3s on your computer, and it's like we don't actually do anything here, but it'd be really awesome if you clicked on this link, and <laughs> and it went and installed this stuff for you. And so, like, they don't actually touch it. it just gotcha, to gotcha. They're like, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just speculating. All, but I mean, yeah, when you hit order, you have deployed Llama, not us. 
Yeah, and so we're not. Maybe that doesn't happen at all. What you end up with is sort of like any model that's popular in uh, like Hugging Face was another one, right? I think it's like any of those that are available, they're going to be available in kind of all three of them. And then Mm -hmm. um, again, other than NVIDIA, the people that made the most money during this conference was Anthropic. So of course, you know, all the open AI chaos happened you know, last week, and that was just craziness. So there was, we were all just kind of speculating in the Slack, like, would the Anthropic CEO show up and be on stage? Sure enough, they call him up, and he actually get a longer session than Jensen Wong on VM on the sorry on the uh, Nvidia side. They actually sat down at benches and they did a little like if you will pre benches. And, oh, they did uh, the sit or, down, not benches, I guess uh, stools, whatever. But they did a little, uh, sure. um, you know, kind of a little contrived, but it was fine. It was good, right? You know, a little contrived conversation about like tell us about why you did Anthropic and you could kind of predict the answers. It's like, well, we really take security and privacy and governance very seriously. That's been a foundation of, you know, our company. So they kind of go on and on about that. So I'm just literally, as I'm watching the Anthropic CEO talk, I'm like, I could just see the billions of dollars in uh, valuation for his company going up because it's like, I mean, it's really clear that, you know, Amazon is really kind of bet on Anthropic like uh, Microsoft has bet on, open AI. Now I don't know what I'm a little confused about is like, I know Google has invested in Anthropic as well, but he, that person wasn't on the stage of GCP. So I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but I was really like, it was clear, right. And, in the, the thing that they, they just kept saying it, and I guess it's good messaging. It's just privacy, security, and governance. That was the yeah, thing yeah. they did must've said, I mean, a thousand times during that. And that's obviously a, either a subtle or a direct kind of jab at the open AI Microsoft kind of like craziness of the last week. So, yeah. yeah. So, was, so it, mm-hmm. like, like my, I don't know if this is the case, but like what I'm thinking here, if I was trying to pull out some, some like strategy and differentiation is, so you got, you got like all, not only the three, but whoever's doing AI stuff. Right. And I think the move is they're going to have quote unquote, all the models, right? Like whatever models yeah. you want that are free to have, we'll all have them. And then so in a way, it makes them, it doesn't make them worthless, but it makes them not monetizable so much. It kind of, in an odd it way. Makes it makes them ne- non-differentiable, which right, goes back that's to right. the strength as the incumbent. It, it neutralizes the threat of all these open source models yes. because everyone has them. Ha- has them? What, what am I? Anyways, everyone has them. Uh, and And then so that leaves you with, I think maybe four ways you could differentiate the first one, which will be eliminated very quickly, which is just like enterprise grade. And it's like, yeah, well, of fucking course you have that next, right? Like if you don't, if you don't have that, you can't even compete. It's just, it's, it's like my joke about like security. It's like, has any enterprise vendor ever said, no, we're not secure. Like, <laughs> Well, but, but for them to, to, you know, harp on that, they're trying to, you know, Right, right. On, and on, and on and early on, early on in a market, people don't even know what secure and private and stuff means. Exactly. So what you're what you're also kind of looking for is like some anchoring. Will you figure out what that yeah. means? Like we're freaking out about something we don't even know what we're freaking out about. So can you tell us what we're freaking out about and tell us that it will be okay? Which is that's kind of a fun, <laughs> weird cycle of enterprise software. So you got that going on, but very quickly, like that becomes like pretty much undifferentiated thing because everyone's going to have it. But then that gets you to, I'm going to lose track of, I think I said there were four things, but 
<clears throat> then as you were going over, Brandon, there's basically like, like as we've learned in the cloud native world, you have uh, user experience. I don't know if they have exactly. prompt X or AI X, but you're going to have some sort of X at the end, like dev X. How easy is it for you to, if you will, train or customize the totally. model? On your thing. So that's to your point. It's a management kind of question. Please and, and, and then so, for example, like if you are to compare the whatever it is, the user experience of downloading the Llama thing and installing it versus going to chat GPT, the Llama thing just like eats a bag of Llama like it's no good. <laughs> Like it just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, so like, similarly, you could see that in the cloud things of just like, you could have the most badass models ever. And like, if you start it up, it's it's kind of like a Kubernetes story. Like if you start it up and you're kind of like, uh, so where do I type the stuff? Then like, it's no good. And then I guess, and then it seems like, so, so that is something that you can legitimately differentiate on, especially like in a and cloud Just to model. pause for a second, just a second. And this is where it tie, does tie back to the infrastructure because that, what every vendor wants to say is like, yes, we, the hardware I just told you about and the chips I've been building, they run the, the model faster, better, cheaper for you. And that's kind of the, that's how these things kind of the interplay between the two go. Right, right. Okay. And, and then, so that the, the, the last two is, you could have as as the I don't know the I don't know if the partnerships are exclusive with OpenAI and Anthropic, but they seem de facto exclusive, right? Like like whatever well, that Anthropic's means. not. Yes, yeah, so OpenAI yeah. is a hundred is exclusive to Microsoft. That one for sure, and then Anthropic right. rate is a little bit more confused. But like, but today, to to your point, like the most clearest differentiation between them right now is like if you believe OpenAI. Or anthropic. If either those are really proprietary things, so it's like if you believe right, right, one right. is better than the other, your choice is obvious. You would pick the Microsoft for OpenAI or Anthropic forever. If you believe you just want a another model that's freely available, right, or only you know a, a less well-known model that's only available uh, one of the providers of uh, hybrid clouds, then you would pick that one. But you know, but I guess maybe to come back to it, it's like there is this moment here of like who has the power, like. If you believe OpenAI or Anthropic, or if, if you believe there's a model to rule all models, okay, mm-hmm. then the power really is with whoever wins that. And right now, we'd say Anthropic and OpenAI are fighting that out. Now, the hyperscalers, not surprisingly, they want you to believe it's like, oh, it's kind of like the old agent thing, right? Or like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you're going to need five or 10 or access to 20 of these things, right? And like, look, uh-huh. we've got it. So there is an implicit kind of um, motivation for all the cloud providers to be like, yeah, we got five models, we got 10 models, and you need, and they're all kind of different. And sometimes you need one, sometimes you need another, well, um, because that's yeah, sort yeah. of like, he, that, that makes them, if you will, the manager of managers. Whereas, you know, and I know Matt, you I, and I talked about this, there is a vision of this AI thing is like, listen, there's just really one great model. And you just tell that model what you are and what you want that's to do. That's Brandon's dream. That's my, well, but I think that's <laughs> but, but, that is at least one vision of this, right? Versus like, yeah. I mean, kind of like, this is the part where, I don't know, maybe could you relate to it. So like, I don't want all these like Lego pieces. Like, I don't want, like, you know what I mean? And this is, I just want to go to Claude or OpenAI and I just want to start doing stuff. I don't want all of this to know. I don't want to do my own bake-off. I don't want to do any of this stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. See, what that, you'll never get from any of the cloud vendors is a breakout of which ones are more popular than others. 
because they don't want to give that power to the vendors. They don't want to. They don't want to let OpenAI know that. Oh, sure, Microsoft has twenty choices, but ninety-eight percent of the workloads are in OpenAI. So, right. so, th- th- so to round it out, this is this is the third thing. It's just like, I mean, and, and we can bring in our, uh, uh, you know, our 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 annual thinking on open source is like, well, y- you have a proprietary model that's closed source that only is available from you, and you make it good. Right. And so that that would be a way of differentiating. And uh, uh, now now I, th- I think you're making me think, you know, it, it seems like, Brandon, the, the AI model is the wrong word, but the strategy, your your dream strategy, I think, is what Google could do. Google could just come in and be like, yeah, why do you need multiple models? Ours does everything right. Like and it's they're like, do you remember how Google works where you type a thing in a box and it does everything? That's what ours does. And right, that, that would be, but it doesn't I, do that anymore. I have the exact no, analogy for you, Coach, because I, you know, this uh, we worked together time is like go back in time, right? There were multiple search engines, right? And then there was like Google search. And then I remember uh, when we were working at uh, one of the places we worked together, right? It's like you kind of like were like, hey, we should get one of these Google search appliances, right? Remember the thin box? Because it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. we should just uh-huh. do that. And it's like, we should just use Google for everything, even though there was like a million other types of ways of searching. And then it even got to the point where like, you know what? It's better just to search the regular Google than use this Google search box inside because it doesn't really index everything. Because <laughs> we must have configured our firewalls and yeah, it was already like, in here. <laughs> honestly, it's it's better just to use it. So then you kind of get you keep walking up that that stack and it's like like today there are other search engines. I don't want to be like there's none, but like most of the time you're just like, nah, I just go to Google for everything and it just figures it out. You know what I mean? It figures out what I want most of the time. And I think there is a vision of the world that is like that is like that. And I think that is where Anthropic and OpenAI are sort of sitting in between, right? You know, and this is why it's interesting. OpenAI is still vastly more popular than the Microsoft version of OpenAI because, of, I don't know, because of just brand, even though it's the same. And so there is this vision of like, no, 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 this is just a, we're in a very short period of time where everyone thinks they need to build their own models. But in the end, you know, the vision, if you believe one of these things is going to be a trillion dollar company, we may end up just going to one of them. And it's like, yeah, we just go to this one place and we all use that. Or, you know, or, or this more kind of piecemeal method um, will play out. And it's like, yeah, we need 20 different models and we pick the right one at the right time. Yeah. And, and then the fourth one, of course, as always pricing, right. It's just like, how are you going to price this stuff and what are you going to do? And and I think well, not only that pricing, this is Matt's world. I mean, I assume that people are already working. It's like not, I mean, pricing is so multidimensional, uh, uh, I guess, multidimensional complicated uh, for lack oh, of yeah. a phrase that like, you know, this is where you really want an AI to figure out the right way to do it. Because when you go, you have to figure out which types of chips you would want, what the workload is on which model across multiple providers like that's kind of all the stuff you would want to Sounds know horrible to yes. then try to figure out like oh the best price for me to do this is here i don't know if anyone will be able to figure that out that's just yeah like that, i possible. mean unless 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 using ai is a core piece of your business i don't think anybody really nobody wants to bake off um you, you're gonna like you you tell me there are 20 different models out there how am i going to tell which one is the best for my generic workload? You know, I've got some, I need some monitoring ML that I'm going to call AI. You know, which one do I, which which of these tools do I run it through? Is like, how can I adequately tell which is the best and which one is the best price performance? I mean, that just yeah. sounds, unless I'm dealing at a large 
large scale, I'll probably just go with the default. I'll probably be like, now, I'll throw now, it into this because that's what I've heard is good. Now, hold on. This is generating a lot more thoughts. Maybe we'll get back to the reinvent stuff at some point. This is, <laughs> this is much more fun to talk about. Is One, that sounds like a great idea for some sort of startup or industry trade association. How would you POC and benchmark various models, right? Like you would have oh, like yeah. five to 20 different scenarios that you would walk them through and see how, how, and how they respond. Well, and I mean, there, there, there are lots of time. folks who are, who are hanging up their shingle as being an AI consultant already, you know, we're, but yeah, yeah. they're, they're but saying you, my, you know, I spend the time to understand this stuff so you don't have to. And, and, and to me, right. I'm like, good for them. Cause you know, I, I honestly don't have and, the appetite. And, and I, you know, maybe what you need is like, you go to like Comcast and you're like, give me your 500 top customer service cases. And I'm going to make some, I'm going to make a battery of tests that you run through the AI for those things, you know, like a whole bunch of stuff like that. And you just see how, like, fuck this chess playing bullshit. No one gives a shit about that. Let's say Hugging Face is the closest, right? Hugging Face basically does list out all the popular models by kind of like the function. And then I think they do have, so, I mean, that's a one play. They obviously don't have all the proprietary ones, but that's the start of it. anyway, just for people that want to go check it out. And and to, to that point, I'm pretty sure, given any model, if if you gave me an hour with it, I could I could give an evaluation of it based on how it can do Dungeons and Dragons at this point. <laughs> like, and I've gone through various ones, and like pretty quickly, you give it the prompts, and you're like, this one's bullshit. Like, it doesn't know what it's doing. Versus this one, but like but, but then how do you know if, if you set it up right? That's the thing. It's like there's probably right, right. Well, well, that where- that. Where that you, you to, spent an hour and and somebody's gonna be like, no, 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 exactly. No. I'm Exa- a Lama that, two expert, and and I don't even, I don't even, I, you know, this is great this question because I don't, I didn't even think about this, but that's that's a part of the usability of it is like, yeah, like if I go in and I'm like, you're a call service agent for a major North American uh, cable provider, like it should know every single scenario, right? Or like now you're selling uh, motorcycle insurance to Australians. It should know, like, got it, right? Like, like, because really, like, most things that people do, I don't want to call them like that guy did bullshit jobs, but, like, it's a known job, right, yeah. that you're right, doing. So let's and pause there for a second, because like I think they made, an announcement around, they made an announcement around this. It's like, okay, so what you're kind of talking about, and they even talked about call center agents, was like, well, in order to be an expert for a specific company, that company may have specific kind of information that needs to be trained on that's private. So they talked about this idea of retrieval augmented generation or rag, right? So the idea here is that you have Mm -hmm. a model that's, you know, been, if you will, that's already built, but then you can say, listen, use this other information when you're answering these kind of questions. And that's the place where you kind of put all, if you will, all of your secret or proprietary information about how to like book a ticket or how to like answer a call center thing. And so that's another, like, you know, this kind of the old agent monitoring thing is like, Hey, Hey, come over here, configure your model. Then we'll safely connect to your data sources calling this rag. I don't know. It's a weird, I'm having a hard time that that acronym, but whatever. And then, and then from that, you don't worry about it because all the information is safe. And also you can be, if you will, um, put in some rules about preventing like, you know, if you will, inappropriate responses or hallucinations and things like that. So it's all pitched around kind of this idea of safety. It's like, you know, for your company, you know, if you come here, you can use these models and we can connect to your information and we can make it very safe 
so that that if there's any private information in there, it doesn't travel over the internet. And two, when we give answers, they're appropriate and you can't, you know, get off track, right? So that's a whole nother pitch to like why you would use in this case AWS or other um, competitors, like if you will, syncing up the data sources. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I assume all of that's secure, right? That, that, uh... <laughs> that came up a few a few times during the, uh, the presentation. So, but maybe yeah. that then leads us to the next one. So it's like, okay, so we covered infrastructure, which is like, oh man, do I got to do all this and figure out what I want? And then we covered all the models that are available, uh-huh. or uh, and I'm call them LLMs, right? Functional models and LLMs. Okay, but then we get to the point where it's like, well, wait a minute. Obviously, the hyperscalers are aware of this. Like, we don't want to just you know, provide people the models because maybe there's just one good model. So now we get to the apps. Okay. So now to set the stage here, right? We have um, Google Duet, right? We have uh, Microsoft Copilot, and now we have Amazon Q, which is essentially all three of their attempts to basically don't worry about it. Like you don't have to do anything. If you will, just start using the application that you want. And we've already taken care of all the AI for you, right? So the classic example here was, um, you know, GitHub Copilot. And then they, um, what is it called here? Amazon launched a specific kind of Copilot competitor to generate code. And then Microsoft, uh, I'm sorry, Google has their uh, duet as well. So if you kind of go through, each hyperscaler has a whole set if you will, of these apps ready to go, right? Make it real easy for you to use them without having to do anything. Um, and another example they gave was like Amazon Q's code transformation. That's very similar to Google Duets. Like, hey, give me some code. I'll rewrite it from uh, a language like, you know, Java to JavaScript or whatever it is, right? Whatever the example is. So this is, if you will, it, you know, it's kind of like all the hyperscalers want to jump over the people providing the models and be like, oh, no, no, we're going to provide you the apps. Like, don't worry about it. Like, if you don't care about it, just use our apps. Our apps are going to be the best, right? And so that's kind of the coming fight, right? It's like, where is the money in this this hamburger diagram? Is it the infrastructure? Which it isn't. That seems like the cost, right? Is it picking the models and configuring the models? Because that's what people want. Or is it just building the right apps? And that's Copilot, Q, and Duet. So mm-hmm. that's what I think the next coming year is all going to be about figuring out where the value lies in that kind of stack of offerings from each company. Right, right. And and then so I would guess that Amazon's deal here would eventually be like, we don't want to compete with SAP. And and it's not that we... No, they like do. The, they want the competing all SAP dollars. And, and so like, well, okay. So then they would start building up just like CRM and ERP systems that are powered by AI stuff instead, right? Or would they rather just like sell this underlying thing to all of the ERP vendors and, and be the provider for it? Because, well, you know. I, I mean, their, their model is proven. They, they look for things that they can do easily and take away the margin of other people. I mean, some of the most basic things they introduce, like thin clients and, you know, hand scanners. And it's like things that aren't super complicated that they can, you know, just add to your AWS bill. And so, yeah, a full-blown SAP, that's going to take a while. But, you know, maybe they can take some of the the smaller workloads. So, I mean, I'm I'm surprised they haven't done like a Salesforce, you know, light. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> well, a couple yeah. things there. One, Salesforce at the opening of the yes. Salesforce got a ton of time about the growing relationship between AWS and Salesforce. And clearly Salesforce has bought a lot of AWS because they got like a whole, like, this is the future Salesforce and things like that. Now, 
to your question, though, is like I think the business apps are like a little a step too far right now because the places that all these apps, so Copilot, Q, and Duet, for sure they want to help you write code, right? They all want to basically help you do some type of data analytics. It's like put your data with us, and then they all have some type of AI-based interface to it. You kind of see the same example. It's like don't um, – they all kind of have the same thing. It's like don't spend your time like – sitting down and writing SQL queries and trying to figure out how many apples mm-hmm. were sorted in the last quarter, just ask, ask through natural search and be like, how many apples were yeah, sorted last yeah. quarter? And then they'll be like, compare that to last year, right? So there's like the business intelligence as an area. And then they're all kind of stepping into like, I don't know if we want to call it like, um, you know, loco dev or like, you know, some type of like robotic um, process management, but it's sort of like they'll kind of chain together simple tasks. Like yeah. get this data, uh, if the, you know, it, analyze the data, this, and then do this. Right. So it's kind of like these, this idea of like maybe putting together a presentation is like often the example at most, I can't remember. Did they use the QBR t- example today? I keep seeing the same one over and over, but like, that's the idea. It's like, okay, we can do all of that. And I think that's kind of the frontier we're at now. And then what you're talking about, Cote would be like the next frontier would be like, actually like, yeah, like, why don't you just like, why don't I even need SAP? Just like do everything, like do all of my manufacturing yeah, for me. But that's a little bit beyond what I think people are pitching today. Today. Right, right, but, right. Yeah, like, like you would go to, you would go to Claude and be like, uh, you know, email all my suppliers the, uh, the, the forecast for uh, Q4 and uh, make sure we get all those iPhones shipped uh, and also notify FedEx. Enter. <laughs> take care of that for you yeah well i think even some of the pitches are even more broad it's like hey maximize the money for the next quarter right and then it just sort of like oh it looks, looks it over it's like yeah wait wait, wait 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 i can just tell the ai to make me a bunch of money well if you read matt levine's latest uh newsletter today he actually uh shows how an ai was trained to to basically trade it and ended up doing insider trading. So it was like, that was the first nice. thing to figure out how to do. And, so and then it's I, not I think, insider if the AI um, can get to it. It's right? now, now, now Amazon has the missing link here. Once it's figured out, you're going to want to make a serverless call, right? Like, is that, is that <laughs> yes, what's going to happen was, to uh, kick it off? That was what, yes. That was, now Amazon, to their credit, Amazon actually showed how you could use the Amazon Q to basically like come up with more compelling ads and offers, uh, you know, to basically, you know, maximize whatever it is you're selling, which I thought was like, just like the most honest use case I had seen. And all of these I've been watching for months is like, there you go. It's like, yes, I get it. You, that is something I am sure you've been doing and you're good at. It was, it wasn't like, you know, let us, let's go out and like, uh, fix climate change and do all this, you know, all this very abstract stuff. Is no, like, that here's a way that actually can... would be like, I don't, I don't know uh, if how much time you two or the listeners spend looking at Google analytics and trying to figure out what the fuck is this thing trying yeah. to tell me, but that might be great is just to like get the CSV from Google analytics and just be like, can you tell me which pages got a lot of views and where they came from? <laughs> yeah. And, no, well, and that is clearly a hundred percent. Those use cases are all, targeted at this kind of business intelligence layer uh, of, of all the, again, of like I said, well, that, that seems like a, a logical next step if for, you know, so first off they started with, Oh, we'll do things for developers. But I think marketers, you know, if, if, if you're Amazon and you want a piece of that Google search dollar or that advertising dollar, I think that's a, a big opportunity, you know, to, to, you know, start rolling out your own, web analytics with powered by AI kind of stuff. I mean, Amazon's the kind of folks that'll do that kind of stuff to mess with other people's business. But um, I just want to point out, like, 
I don't like the name Q. <laughs> <laughs> I well, mean, it's very, uh, there are several things in the Slack while we're watching it. People came up like, where did it come from? I guess the Star Trek Q. There's a Star like an evil. Well, yeah, that, that, that was my that point. Was my point was like, you've got you've got James Bond Q, the guy who I, comes up with like single purpose useless gadgets, and also that are crazy that- expensive. But quick, quick fact check or quick uh, note on that is like people pointed out that uh, Amazon does own the studio. studio oh, I know. Owns I James know. Bond, so they do have the right to use that. So, so that's that's probably where they're going. But but uh-huh. the cue from Star Trek is the like omniscient asshole. Yeah, that's that's the one. that's who I'm always going to think of this AI now. It's like the guy who like this is kind of an antagonistic relationship I have with Q. Thank you. Well, I think and he never goes re- away. Maybe we should quickly rank them. My ranking was like, I think Microsoft, to the credit, they kind of nailed it. I think Copilot is the right Co-Pilot's, metaphor. I yeah. think it's good. I think Duet is sort of like a, a poor man's Copilot, but I like it. It's easy for yeah. me to remember. Q, I honestly, took, it took me a while to understand like what they were talking about. I was like, because it's just one Oh, I know. It's, it's a little, not a good name. It was, and, it was, and I'm sure you it know, was other third in this ranking of names. I was like, I'm kind of confused what they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, you need some sort of like sidekick but you know you got the the sherpa thing that's probably that's that's probably like too cultural you know appropriation you know so you need some sort of like assistant you know that and and copilot's like the best one because it's like that that you know they're still a professional they're still you know capable of landing the plane but you know they're here to help yeah yeah well you know you know naming these things is hard and and also i think uh, you know, I'm no like uh Corey Quinn or whatever, but I, I think I think like maybe Amazon's like, how about we spend less fucking time naming stuff and more time making money? <laughs> like they, they they don't necessarily have like well, the, the th- th- that's the problem with Amazon names. is they go back and forth between totally obscure, un unknowable names like Dex, um, and then things like you know advanced analytics for you know remote Aurora databases, and you're like. That's exactly what I thought it was, you know. So, so I mean, Q tells me nothing. I mean, I mean, you know, the foundation of AWS naming is S3 and EC2. It's like, what are these cars? Like, <laughs> there's like the, these names don't mean anything. They're like, yes, they're now, the so one what, thing, what, all of these things. I think the the most immediate uh, value everyone's going to get, and I think this applies to Q, Copilot, and Duet is like, and, the, and they showed this in the AWS keynote was like. They've obviously trained it a lot on, in this case, using AWS. So they showed several things where you could be like, how do I set up a load balancer in AWS? And it spits out like the instructions. And I'm like, and, and mm. you have to see the same thing at Google for setting up GCP. And it's like, thank God. I honestly, all of these things are, are way overdue. I mean, it is a miracle because I'm just like, you know, it's just a matter of time before somebody notices that it's like making recommendations that are like, you know what you need? Uh, a, a managed NAT. And, I mean, maybe and, and, and people are going to be like, this thing's always telling me to spend stupid That's money. True. But right now I am so confused when I have to do things. Like I, I do feel kind of lost. In fact, I go to open AI sometimes and type it in like, how do you do this? And it tells me. So the fact <laughs> that like they're all figuring, cause that's a place that they clearly have spent a lot of time for themselves. And it's like, I think it's going to be really good is like, yeah, like how do I do this thing inside the services you've given me? Right. And I think, and that's not just an Amazon statement. I think the same applies to GCP and Azure as well. So that is going to be an immediate value. If we get nothing else from AI, we will uh, be told where the YAML is and how to edit it. And that will finally will uh, save all of us some time and effort. You know, inevitably, if they automate setting up load balancers, there's going to be some article in business insider. That's like, look, this set up a Hitler subdomain. And then, (laughs) you know, 
and just that. oh man <laughs> so 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 uh there were a lot of other announcements give give, give us just like uh, a couple quick highlights brandon well i think that's i think you know again the structure of the keynote was sort of like compute they did a little bit on storage they're very proud of this new s3 uh express high performance storage Again, seemed sure. really good. Seemed good. The one thing I thought was interesting, they led the keynote with a little kind of overview of uh, AWS availability zones. And I was like, you know, like what's going on? And so, because I was like, I don't know. Like, I think we know that, right? And, I, and, I, and so my, my guess there is that like Amazon feels like, one, the number of data centers it has is not being well understood or represented because I think mm-hmm. they mentioned like 80 something, which I think is twice how much Microsoft has. And then two, they spent a lot of time talking about Availability zones, because again, they must have some research or they must feel like people don't understand that their availability, at least in their view, uh, approach is much better than the competitor. So I just thought that was interesting was like, oh, they they feel like they're not getting credit for this because they spent the first 10 minutes going over that. And it's like, clearly, the people that know, know all about that. So I thought that was interesting. You had the two, the other shot they made at OpenAI. They didn't say Microsoft uh, directly, but they showed a screenshot of the OpenAI, kind of like a an article about how Microsoft had like told people to stop using it internally. So that was the closest. They didn't name it, but they showed a screenshot. I thought that was kind of interesting. And then kind of wrapping up um, kind of their, if you will, the pitch about like, why Amazon is still building new exciting things. Kind of that they ended on this uh, project. Uh, was it Kuiper? And it really, which is basically, you know, uh, I would say it's very similar to Starlink. Basically, they're going to cover yeah. the U.S. in low-level satellites, and that was kind of like a callback because they kind of did it like in announcing it. They had this cool video with it, but they kind of showed like Amazon.com, Amazon Prime. Um, Alexa, like kind of like their big bets. So they kind of position this as sort of like their next big bet and kind of bringing, if you will, the internet to, you know, everyone around the world where it has not been available anywhere else. So that's sort of like, if you will, their aspirational message, right? Like, here's where we're going to go. Here's this next big thing that we're going to do. Um, and that was sort of, you know, that was kind of the, the big, the big announcements were, were, but again, you know, AI, AI was the big thing. And I will say today's keynote by the uh, vice president of AI, went a little slower. And if you're just interested in going through that, that's probably the first 40 minutes of that one is probably a nice bite-sized chunk if you just want to know that. Because that one is like over two hours as well. But the next 40 minutes, if you just want the AI stuff, watch the first 40 minutes of the AI keynote. All right. Well, that that's that's a it's AI all the time. Well, you know, this marks I think maybe the uh the the last major conference uh for for the end of the year i'm sure there's other ones i don't mean to insult people but uh you know there's there's several others coming up uh which which we can highlight in a little bit but before we get to that brandon is there any bureaucracy a couple things i sent stickers to dean in the uk uh also rob sent a nice pic of an sdt sticker on his laptop so i always like to see that uh matt i wanted to give you a chance matt People want to know about your trackball that you mentioned it last week. <laughs> I've actually put in the link here, but why don't you tell the people what it is? Uh, it's a Kensington expert, expert. trackball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the wired one, not the wireless. I wireless. I don't know. I've had some bad experiences with wireless and I've given up on it. So um, yeah. You just, you just, just spin that ball Kensington. too quick for Bluetooth. <laughs> Well, every time you mention the trackball, Matt, people ask about it. So either I'm way off and like, you know, um, who's using trackballs or we have a, a, a small community of people that also includes uh, trackball users. So there, there you have it. 
And the link here, I the link, if you want it, you want it, Matt's trackball, it's uh, in the show notes. Mm. Well, uh, speaking, of, like I mentioned, the, you know, the only conference we have to mention is uh, coming up in January, and it's uh, that conference on January 29th, uh, which Brandon has been to, and we recorded an episode at uh, two years ago, or was it last year? I don't know. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah good. It, it, there was uh, there was ferns and things like that, and uh, you know, way off in I think March. There's a uh, KubeCon EU coming up. I just there's there's a bunch of co-located events, and there's one on I forget if it's platform engineering or internal developer platforms that uh, I I was asked to submit something to. So we'll see if that happens. That'd be fun to go to. Yeah. Uh, so so there's some stuff circular circularing uh, running around there for for you to check out conference wise. Uh, and uh, you know, with that, what do you have to recommend this episode, Brandon? Well, I'm going to recommend another episode of the Acquired Podcast, which, of course, I enjoy listening to. This is a pretty long one. It's the complete history and strategy of Visa. Visa being the, uh, if you will, the network that processes many of uh, the credit card transactions out there. So I didn't, I don't learned a lot about the weird nuances of both how it came into being and how it's maybe the highest gross margin business uh, in the world. So if you if you think about taking like a few cents from every credit card transaction and uh, you just do that continuously turns out you make a lot of money so if you want to if you're interested in learning about how that came to be check out uh, the acquired podcast yeah be, being a uh, I guess as you would say nowadays a middle person I'll, always a good job uh, it's always yes. enjoyable so uh, how about uh, speaking of middle persons how about yourself Matt Ray since you're in the middle recommendation here well you know, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who loves Markdown, but uh, I also enjoy Google Docs. Well, uh, it turns out Google Docs has Markdown support. Uh, if you go into preferences, you can enable it. But there's also a plugin for Google Docs to Markdown. So you can actually do your work in Google Docs with collaborating and everything with you know whoever. And then in the platform that you're going to go publish whatever you've been sharing on in Markdown, uh, like maybe your blog, um, it, you can export it. So that's kind of a, a, a nice plug. All as Markdown? As Amazing. Markdown. Yes. Huh. Maybe we could switch to using that instead of paper then. Because that's really the only reason, uh, aside from the usual enterprise reason of just like, well, it's what we use and we got other shit going on than, uh, than modernization. But Yep. Huh. Google Docs, Markdown, together at last. Although like any good enterprise manager, I don't actually do any work with that. So I'm <laughs> going to suggest ways that we change it. I think is uh... <laughs> well. Well, my recommendation, you know, uh, there, there. I, I don't always have a lot of uh, of, of Dutch food to uh, to recommend. I mean, you know, if you like it, you like it. That's fine. But I, I, I've I've come up with a new finding that I'm going to test out further tomorrow, and that is Dutch style pork chops. Now you go to the grocery store. You go to an American grocery store. They got pork chops, but they cut them kind of differently here. I don't really know what the deal is, but they're always also very thinly cut. And I don't, I don't know if this is just me or the world in general, but I feel like pork chops get kind of like a bad rap. Like they're a, a cheap cut of meat. They're probably not healthy for you. And so like, I don't really eat them that often, but every time I buy a pack of pork chops and I cook it, I'm like, this is really good. And uh, the thing I'm, I'm no food scientist, but the thing about pork I don't want to say that you want to undercook it, but you don't want <laughs> no. to overcook it, right? Like definitely don't overcook the pork. You want it to be nice and juicy and, mm. uh, and, and it's super enjoyable. 
so, you know, check out pork chops. That's my recommendation. Thinly sliced. I think maybe if you get a thick sliced one, you want to do the reverse sear method on or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I cooked one up for lunch today. It took about three minutes on each side or so. It was uh, good stuff. Well, hopefully you've been listening to this during your delicious lunch, perhaps enjoying some pork chops or vegan pork chops, if that exists. <laughs> I'm not really sure what they put in for the bone. I mean, that's part of the pleasure of a pork chop is you get that little bone and you can just kind of like work at it, you know, get get the little bits of meat. And then that weird thing in that little uh, that little nook, that little notch at the top of the pork chops, that's also pleasurable. And, uh, you know, uh, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes, which includes links to things we talked about and all the stuff we didn't, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 443. And you can also see how to join our Slack channel where there's all sorts of conversation. Usually there's not 5,000 messages uh, in a 24-hour period uh, that that you, you can scroll through. And you should check that out. And also, if you listen this far, you should subscribe to my newsletter, which is at newsletter.cote. .io. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Can you hear it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's the trackball, right? The, that's the scroll wheel on the side of the trackball. Uh-huh. Right there. So what were you typing at? Is that an actual real works? Or is that actually... <laughs> it, does, it seems like you're typing quite fast. I think I might have been typing. I'm typing some bullshit for the recording. <laughs> really? You typed that? Yes. All right. Well, I'll, I think it sounds quite loud. I think this keyboard is quite loud. I don't know. Let's again, as a show of, uh, in the chat, let me know if you believe that is, uh, silent, uh, reasonable sound or, or loud. So let's just see if other people say, I don't know. Kote, you, you said you had an opinion. What was your opinion on the, the oh, I like, keyboard? I, I always like background noise in podcasts I'm listening to. It, it, it adds some reality. Now, now what most people probably didn't hear is the sound uh, that Matt Ray's daughter makes when she leaves the house for school, which sounds very close to like, if you would imagine like, like a fine dining, uh, what are you cabinet being thrown on the ground? And then right before she leaves, she just like takes it and throws it onto the ground. It did feel like there was a a little wall was shaking. So, uh, all right. Well, I think people, I guess, in here, I think people are saying that like, it's, it's reasonably sounding that. So I guess, uh, I think it's great. It's good background. I'm using yeah. the uh, the Apple keyboard, which I guess is somewhat super silent. Yeah, it's just pretty quiet. So, so there you have yeah, it. I'm just typing with my mind.